Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We are in the second week of a series that I started last week called Running with the Giants. I, I'm excited about this series. I think we're going to learn a lot about our Bibles. It's a, it's a little different format than I normally teach. There's kind of an outline. So if you like to follow along and if you like to take notes, there's a place on your bulletin where you can do that. If you uh, want to follow along in the Bible, <clears throat> I'm going to eventually get to Genesis chapter 32. That would be the story that we're really going to consider this morning. I'm going to be kind of all over the place, but if you wanted to settle in on one place and kind of have the anchor, it would be Genesis 32. I want to begin by just kind of restating the kind of where this idea of running with the giants comes from. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read this, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the Bible says that there are people in heaven right now who are watching you and me run our race, right? So uh, the picture that the writer of Hebrews is trying to paint is of someone at an Olympic-type event, someone in an arena, a coliseum, and it's full of people, and there are games taking place on the floor of that arena. There are races being run on the track. And, and the giants, the great men and women who did great things for God, the idea is that they are in the stands and they are cheering for us. They, they, you know, they're, they're watching us run our race and they're, they're cheering along with everybody else. And we said last week, the problem with, with that idea is that you can hear the crowd, but you generally, when you're running like that, probably can't hear one person because it gets drowned out by the crowd. And so he wrote in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, I would just stop right there and tell you something. You should be greatly encouraged by what we just read because the Bible recognizes that life isn't perfect. The Bible recognizes that your life is not always easy. The Bible recognizes that we encounter problems and that sin is at times an issue for us. I love that phrase, that, that we're, we let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That's all of us at one time or another. And then it says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. But what would it be like if one at a time, these great men and these great women of God that the Bible tells us about, if they came out onto the track to run one lap around as we run our life race, what would they say? What advice would they give to us if they were going to come down and run a lap with us? Today, I want to pull one guy out of the stands. His name is Jacob. And uh, of probably all the guys on this list that we're going to look at and the ladies that we're going to look at, probably Jacob is the most famous. Um, there's a lot of the story of the Bible is about Jacob. Um, I don't know that there's too many people in the Bible that get more press than Jacob. Maybe Jesus, maybe Paul, but um, we, we know a lot about the life of Jacob. And so we're going to take a look at him. He had a very interesting life. Um, there's a whole lot to learn. And so what we're going to look at today is this is for when your life isn't turning out the way you thought it would turn out. Okay, it's, it's for when life doesn't turn out the way you had hoped. Jacob was guilty of something that probably all of us in this room are guilty of at one time or another, and especially the men in the room. Okay, I'm going to call this out a little bit, guys. And also young people struggle with this. I think we all do to some extent, this thing that we're going to talk about this morning, but this is a big deal for men. 
And so we're going to take a look at it this morning. But, but I think all of us at some level and to some degree, to some extent, we all are, are trying to take control of our own life. We want control of it. We think we know better than anybody else. And we try to do life on our terms. Simply put, life was not turning out the way Jacob thought his life should turn out. And he spent a lot of his time trying to take control and hold on to things going on in his life to make it work out the way he wanted it to work out. And here's the thing, and we're, we're eventually all going to figure this out at one time or another if we live long enough. The more you try to do that, the more you try to live your life by taking control of it and wrestling it away from God, the messier and the worse it's going to get for you and for me if we try to do that. Literally from birth, <laughs> the moment Jacob was born, he was learning this lesson. You can go read earlier in Genesis chapter 27, uh, do that later, but there's a story in Genesis 27 about the birth of Jacob. What you need to know about Jacob is he was born a twin, and his twin brother Esau was coming out of the womb first, and the Bible tells us that Jacob reached and grabbed Esau's heel, okay? So even at that very early age, it was like Jacob was saying, no, you get back in here, I'm the first one out, right? Like, Jacob was trying to control his life from the very beginning of his life. And that guy goes on to live a life of manipulation all throughout his life. From day one, that's the way he's wired. And this is pretty much Jacob's life for the rest of his life until we see what happens today. Now, the people that we see in the Bible are an awful lot like us. You know, we, we can identify with them. We see things, probably your favorite Bible character is one of two things. It's either somebody that you want to be like, or it's someone that you identify with. It's someone that you can kind of see yourself in. The Bible <clears throat> is full of all different types of characters, all different types of personalities, and it's kind of neat for us to find that person that we kind of look like or, or fit in with. Um, but they were just people, okay? They were just regular, normal people. They struggled, they sinned, they, they grabbed hold of things that they shouldn't grab hold of. They, were, they got interested in things they shouldn't get interested in. They made decisions that all weren't, always weren't the best of decisions. Once in a while, though, they did some amazing things for God. On multiple occasions, God tried to reach Jacob. They would, you know, they would have these many encounters, and, and some work would get done with Jacob, but quite honestly, not all of the work that God was trying to get accomplished, God accomplished whenever he had these encounters with Jacob. He had some okay encounters, and then he had some that weren't so great. And he just kept trying to make his way in life and do it his way on his own terms, which is really a pretty good description of a lot of us, is it not? That we, we try to kind of go through life and do life our way on our terms. We want control. We want to dictate what happens, when it happens, how it happens. Jacob's not a lot different than us, or better put, we're not a lot different, not all that different from Jacob. So that's the life of Jacob. And so if that's where you are, then you are likely going to find some help today, and I think Jacob is going to speak to you in a very, very powerful way as we look at what we look at today. In Bible times, there was something called a birthright. If you were a firstborn son that was generally that's what you got one of the things you got was the birthright it was the blessing of your father but it was more than that uh, a lot of things kind of went in, into being the uh, the owner of the birthright as you aged in life around your family you kind of got you were seen somewhat as like a priest for your family if you had the birthright 
The firstborn was also allotted a, a double portion of the father's blessing. He was also allotted a double portion of the inheritance. So the birthright was a really desirable thing. It's something that you wanted. Jacob wanted his brother's birthright. I told you that Jacob came out after Esau, so Esau was the rightful owner of the birthright. And so this was a, a, a point of contention between them. One day Esau was out. He was kind of a hunter-gatherer type. He was a man's man, you know, grunt and scratch a lot. And he was out in the woods, and he came in, and he was hungry. In fact, the Bible, the way it tells this story, he comes in and he says, I'm, I'm so hungry I could die. I'm starving to death. And Jacob had been working on some stew in the kitchen. All right, so he's, get the picture. Esau's out in the woods and he comes in hungry. Jacob's been making some stew. And Jacob realizes he's got an opportunity with his brother. And he says, well, I'll tell you what. I will give you some stew if you will give me your birthright. And his brother, Esau, think about this, traded his birthright, traded a double portion of the inheritance, traded uh, you know, everything that, looked, that you would want if you were the older brother. This was like the prized thing. He traded all of that. There's a sermon in this, trust me. Traded all this away just for a bowl of stew. Now, why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that for this reason. Every one of us in this room would trade some form of a birthright for the right bowl of stew okay so when you see the news and you see that somebody's done some heinous horrible thing and you think how could they do that they got offered the right bowl of stew and they traded their birthright don't ever look at someone going through something and go i would never do that no there's a bowl of stew in your world that means enough to you that for the right bowl of stew you would trade something precious to you that you would probably like to have back at some point. And the, the, the thing is, probably most of us, if we were to stand and tell stories today and be completely honest with each other, we would be able to tell of a time when we traded away some form of a birthright for some great-looking bowl of stew, and when we got the stew, and it's like, well, it wasn't all that. You know, it wasn't worth that. So that's what Jacob did. One time, uh, Jacob wanted to get married and he, he wanted this girl and he had his eyes on this girl his heart set on her but the father of the girl wanted to give him his firstborn daughter he didn't want her wanted to have the second daughter he wanted to have the first daughter and so there's this thing that happens and and basically what ends up happening is jacob works for a very very long time for this man and he ends up not with one wife but with two wives okay so guys if you think you've got problems um, think about that for a minute he ends up in crisis, okay, which I'm just going to tell you this because you have a choice this morning. You can learn, I can learn from the life of Jacob this morning. I can look at his life and look at where he uh, made some mistakes and look at what he did maybe that enabled his life to be a little better. I can look at those things and learn from those things or I can decide to go through the hard stuff and just learn it myself. I can either watch Jacob, and I can learn from Jacob, which I think is the better way to do it, or, and we've all done this, right? We've gone through something hard. Life beats us up, and beats the tar out of us, and then we learn our lesson. Would we not all agree that it's easier to do it the first way, to just watch Jacob and say, Jacob, what would you say to us, right? What do you want to teach me? What do you want me to know? How can I 
do life in such a way that, that I'll get through it and not have to go through some of the stuff that you did. So that's kind of what we're here for. That's what we're trying to do. We don't want to repeat history. So if Jacob could say one thing to you to help you keep you from experiencing all the chaos that is out there, what would he say? I think what Jacob would say is, let God have control. I think that's what he would say. Let God have control. That's what Jacob needed to learn. Make sure that you are not going to try to control your life any longer. You're not going to, that, that what you're going to do is you're just going to turn it all over to God and you're going to say, God, I don't know what you have for me, but I trust you to take control of my life. Now listen to me. Uh, a lot of us are guilty, even Christians, of not doing this. I, I run across a lot of Christians and I have been one from time to time, who has tried to cling to certain things and hold on to it and control it when I know God's saying, give me that, give me that. No, I, I don't want to give you that. No, come on. I, I need you, get, you give me that. No. No, I need this. <laughs> God's saying, no, you don't. That's going to get you in trouble. That's going to mess you up. Give that to me and let me control that. And, and I've watched myself, I've watched a bunch of you cling to and hold on to these things. It's kind of like we're saying, God, I can't trust you with my future. I can't trust you with my kids. I've had parents say that to me. I don't trust God with my kids. What? I can't trust you with my career, God. I, don't, I, I can't give that to you. God... I can't trust you with my money or my relationships. Are you kidding? <clears throat> and God, I want the Christianity thing. I, I kind of like the, the fire insurance part of it. I mean, that sounds pretty good. But this control part, this part where you're looking at me saying, hey, give me that. I don't know, God. I don't know if I can do that. I need a drink bad, bad drink. And if you are doing that, if you've ever withheld, you know, like you've, you, God wants control and you've withheld it, if you've ever done that or you are doing it now, here's what you're going to find out. You're going to find out that eventually doing that leads you into crisis. It's not where you want to be. It's not what you want to be doing. You're, if, if you try to keep control yourself and do it your way and not do it God's way, it's going to lead you to crisis, <clears throat> and I'm going to say this, and some of you probably won't like what you're about to hear me say, but it really is the truth. God doesn't create the crisis, but God allows you to go through the crisis. He will allow you to go through it. Some of us may be going through some, a, a tough time right now that, that God's <clears throat> allowing because we are so stubborn, we will not relinquish control of that thing that we're holding in our hands. I, um, I heard a great quote one time by, by Corey Ten Boom. She said, I have learned to hold all things loosely in my hands because it hurts so badly when God had to pry them out. It's a good quote. I want to share this quote with you from Mother Teresa. You will never know God is all you need until he is all you have. Now here's what I think we can all agree on. We don't want to get to a place where we, we get so stripped away that we realize that, that's, that God is all we have. I mean, Yes, we would benefit greatly by knowing that, but the station in life that you have to get to sometimes where you look up and realize that he is all you have, let's face it, that can be 
That's tough sledding sometimes, right? That's not, that, that, you're in a tough place when you look up and you realize God is all I have. Right now, you've got some other things going on. Right now, you've got some other stuff. God is all you have, really, honestly, when you strip it all down. But you're fooled into thinking that you've got some stuff. But if all that stuff was taken away, and then you look up and you realize, wow, God, this, God really is all I have. That can, be, that can be some pretty tough sledding. These stories are in the Bible so that we can learn from them and not do some of the things that these men and women did. We, we can take the easier route and we can try to do it the way these Bible characters explain and, do, and learn from them, or we can cling to control and just invite the chaos to come into our life. I'm telling you, it's easier if we'll opt for number one. The bottom line is this. We need to give God control of our lives. Today, we are going to look at three things that will happen in your life <clears throat> if you will do that. Three things that if you will give God control of your life, three things that will happen. Jacob eventually gives God control of his life, <clears throat> but it happened at a place where he met God face to face. It happened at a place called Peniel. Jacob had an encounter with God there, and three things happen in this place of change for Jacob. And you can either give God control or not, but if you do, three things will happen for you that happened for Jacob. The first one is this. You will get a new strength. When you give God control, you get a new strength. In other words, you don't have to, do all, you don't have to rely on you anymore. It's not all your struggle. It's not all about what you can do and you doing things under your power. It's different than that. I'll say it this way, you don't have to build your own resume, you don't have to build your own reputation anymore and your career, and, and you don't have to go around saying, God, I've got to build this career and make enough money because I've got to become self-sufficient. Listen, the happiest place you'll ever find in your life is the place where you let God be your strength. Because what you find over time is that, is that your strength isn't enough. But when you give God control, you get a new strength. You get a better strength. So Genesis 32 finds Jacob at the apex of his life, pretty much. And this is what it says. It says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. Now I need to give you a little background. At this point, Jacob has actually uh, sent his family in two different directions. He's kind of fleeing from his brother Esau because he stole his birthright, among other things, and made Esau mad at him, and now Esau's out to get him, and he's afraid of his brother. So he splits his family in half. He sends one in one direction, one in the other direction, and his basic thinking is this. If he catches up to our family, he'll only catch up to one half of it, and he'll only kill half of us. That was the, the thinking that Jacob had going on, okay? I don't know if that's a great plan, but that was Jacob's plan. And then the part of the family that Jacob went with, he sent off again, and now Jacob is all alone. He is all by himself, and that's what we're reading. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came, and the way this is written in the Bible, it's written poetically, um, the man is actually, it's either God, it, it, it is probably Jesus, it might, might be Jesus, we're not really sure. At the very least, it is an angel of God. So it, the word that gets used there is man, but you have to understand that's a representative of God, Okay. And it says, a man came and did what a lot of us are doing right now, which is wrestling. I don't know who, but I have a pretty good feeling that in a room this size, there's somebody walked in here this morning that is wrestling. There's stuff that you're trying to, 
keep control of. There's stuff that you need to let go of. There's stuff you need to trust God with. There's things that you, conversations you need to have with God where you just basically say, God, I'm not going to fight you anymore, but you're wrestling. You're doing what Jacob did. For some of us, this is every day of our life. We're just in this wrestling match with God. It says, he wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man, and that would be God or God's representative, saw that he would not win the match. Now let's just stop right there. Do any of us in the room really think that God is in a wrestling match with a human being and God can't win the match? Do any of us really believe that? None of us really believe that, right? So can we just agree that whatever, the way that reads, that's what it sounds like. Am I, do, do you read that the same way I do? You read that and it sounds like this human is kind of matching strength with God. I don't think for a second that's what's going on in this verse. I don't know necessarily. The way it's written, it's kind of confusing. Here's what I think's going on. I think it's a battle of wills. I think that's really what this is about more than anything physical, although something physically happens to Jacob here in a minute. But I think what's going on with, with Jacob is the same thing that goes on with us. We are in a wrestling match with God, and, and God has given us this wonderful thing called a will. We have free choice. We get to choose, right? Watch your two-year-old. You find out what free will looks like, right? I say all the time, we are nothing but glorified two-year-olds. That's all we are. We've just learned how to hide it a little better. But we match wills with God. God says, I want, I want control. And you say, no. No, I want control. We have a will. And so when the man, God, whoever that is, saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. That's God's way of saying to Jacob, you think you're strong, but you're not as strong as you think you are. And Jacob actually God creates a limp in Jacob. He gives him a pain. He gives him a crisis so that Jacob will say, you know, hey, you know what? I'm really not that strong. It's kind of God's way of saying you're, you're not as strong as you think you are. Give in to me. And I just have to believe that in a room this size this morning, people have walked in here and that's going on in your world right now. That's going on. There's a place, and, and even as I say that, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know what it is. Your neighbor doesn't know what it is. But when I talk about that thing that you're withholding, that thing that you want control of, the odds are pretty good that, you, that, that just about all of us in here have something like that, and you could put a name on it right now. So God's talking to you, and he's saying, give me that. Give me that. I want control of that. And you're saying, no, you're in a wrestling match with God. See, you need to understand that that's how God operates, and, and he does it because he loves you so much. He is, he's willing to let you go through the hardship and the chaos that comes when you cling to your own will. Fathers, mothers, have you ever, you, I'm going to show you how this is a trait that we have that God has. Have you ever allowed your kids to go through some hardship to cure their stubborn will? right? You let them go through a little something, you know there's going to be a little pain involved, you know it's not going to work out good, and instead of stepping in and trying to save them from it, you say to yourself, you know what? Go right ahead. Go right ahead. And then they come back after the experience, mom, this is awful, right? I, you know, it, you won't listen to me, so I just let you do it. 
and hopefully you learned your lesson. See, God's willing to let us go through that. God says, you've got to see that your strength doesn't come from the fact that you are all that strong. In fact, I'm going to show you how weak you really are. And I'm just telling you, I don't know who it is, but in a room this size, that, that is an invitation that God is giving to somebody, and he's saying, hey, give me control. Stop trying to control that. Stop trying to do, stop trying to do that in your own strength. You can't do that. Some of us are so self-reliant. You know one of the ways you know you're self-reliant? You've come in here this morning, and you're worn out. You've come in here this morning and you're finding it difficult to even focus in on what I'm saying because you're so worn out and exasperated, you, you can't even rest. Listen, if you're just trusting in you, good luck with that. If you're going in your strength and your strength only and you think, I got this, I can do this, good luck with that. Let me know how that turns out for you. I can tell how that's going to turn out for you. It's going to bring you chaos eventually some of you are here you came to church this morning and you're exhausted from your own fight listen to the what jesus said this is one of my favorite verses of scripture it comes out of matthew chapter 11 come to me all you who are weary and burdened anybody in here that's tired of carrying everything themselves anybody in here this morning just tired of waking up every morning facing the fight on your own, dragging everything around that you've got to drag around, trying to control it all yourself. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And you might know what comes next in this passage, but if, and maybe if you grew up in church, you do, but if you didn't know what came after what I just read to you, you would be inclined, you would be very tempted to think that the next thing that Jesus says is something to the effect of, why don't you just come in and take a nap? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So why don't you just come in, lay down here, take your good nap, get some rest. That's what you might expect Jesus to say, but in fact, that is not what he says. In fact, he says the opposite of that. He says, I need you to get back to work, but I need you to work the right way, a different way. Verse 29 says this, take my yoke, my yoke upon you i want you to keep working but you're going to use a different yoke to do the work i want you to do it in a different kind of strength now the word yoke as you find it in the new testament there's two different deliveries of the word yoke um, a yoke is a piece of wood with holes in it that you would put over two animals and those two animals would then be used to to do the work that you needed them to do plow the field or pull the wagon or whatever it was you needed them to do and so that's the word. And, and really the goal was to keep these two animals from splitting up and going different directions, okay? You wanted to keep them together. You wanted to harness them and, and harness the power that came from those two animals. But the way the, the word yoke, the way Jesus uses it, is different than the normal using of the word. In Greek, it doesn't use the regular word for yoke. It uses a different word because there's two different kinds. There was a a one-size generic kind of a Walmart one-size-fits-all kind of yoke that's not what Jesus is talking about but in that particular yoke any old yoke would do you just have two animals I'm gonna put a yoke on these two animals and make them plow the field well the problem with that is if it if it wasn't a good fit for the animal at the end of the day you took the yoke off and the animals got all kinds of scars and and sores and cuts on its shoulders and around its neck 
and it was uncomfortable. It wouldn't work well. And so if you were a farmer and you didn't care a whole lot about your animals, you just threw a one-size-fits-all. You went to Walmart and bought your yoke, right? Just threw it on there, and, and that's what they pulled. And at the end of the day, these animals were not happy. They weren't in great shape. They couldn't work well because they hadn't been yoked well. That's not the word Jesus uses. What Jesus uses is a, is a word that implies well-managed animals. Th th that means that the farmer really loves these animals. He cares about them. And so he, he goes out and he, he measures this, this animal for this yoke. He's going to measure up and he's going to measure the chest. He's, you know, those animals had big, massive chests, kind of like me, big, you know, massive chest. Maybe that would be more like it. He would measure it, and he would make sure that the yoke fit the animal. So then when you put that yoke on the animal, two animals that had had it custom made for them, and then they pull all day, at the end of the day, they would have normal fatigue from working, but they wouldn't have extra fatigue. They wouldn't have extra problems going on because the yoke had not fit them well. And I just have to believe that Jesus probably made his share of these as a carpenter. I think that it's not a stretch to imagine that a farmer at some point came to Jesus and said, hey, would you come out to my animals and measure them for me? I want to make them a custom yoke to put on them. That's the kind of word that Jesus uses, okay? It was, it was perfectly carved for them. Listen, some of you are living a life and you're trying to put a yoke on you that does not fit you. It's not meant for you. It doesn't feel right. It hurts you when you pull against it. And some of you are trying to go through your life and do this, this thing with this yoke on you, and it's tearing you up. And at the end of the night, you, 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 you wonder, what's wrong with me? You're not yoked properly. God has a yoke that will give you rest while you're plowing and while you're working and while you're doing things in a different kind of strength. One of the hallmarks of the presence of God is this idea of rest but listen I'm not talking about inactivity I'm talking about the condition of your soul right this is about what kind of shape is your soul in rest in the idea that while I'm working in you God would say I'm not wearing you out and that's why we have verses like this in the Bible but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength they will soar on wings like eagles now let's just stop for a minute and let's consider how eagles fly. What is unique about the way an eagle flies? Here's the answer. They fly without flapping. That's kind of how eagles fly. They're getting the job done, but there's very little work involved. You ever see video of an eagle taking off and then flying? I went out and looked at some on YouTube this week. And what I saw was they, they, will, they get ready. You can kind of tell when they kind of get themselves ready to take flight and then when they do take off there's a few flaps okay I'm not saying that they don't flap at all they do there's a few flaps but you may or may not know this about an eagle one of the things that an eagle uses when it takes flight is something called a thermal current and it will get itself ready to fly, and just before it lifts off, it waits for that thermal current to come and provide some updraft for it, and it uses that, and so it, it flies into that thermal current. It, it elevates this eagle so that it can fly 
on a power that is not necessarily its own. And so it kind of just rises off of that. You look at other birds, they're working hard, right? Go look at some little bird out here when you walk out of church today. Flap, 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 you know? I mean, it's constant flap, 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 I, you know? And then when they've got to take a break, they hit a tree, right? They've got to get on the tree for a minute. There, there's no, you know, there's no flying like that and then like an eagle. <laughs> no, no, little birds, flap, flap, flap. Looks like us. Looks just like us. I mean, it looks just like you. Monday through Friday, flap, 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 flap. Little Saturday flapping, flap, flap, flapping, and Sunday comes. Okay, rest Sabbath for a little bit, but not all day. Flap, 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 flap. Monday comes, here we go. Flap, 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 flap. Some of you never stop flapping, right? Some of you flap so long and so hard. I'm out of breath. I'm out of breath from all that flapping. That's what happens to you. You're so tired from all the flapping you do. There's never a stopping point. There's never, you're doing it all on your own strength, and there's no thermal current for you. There's no part. You know that song, Love Lifted Us Up? I mean, there's some truth to that, right? God wants to lift you up. He does not intend for you to flap all the time. He, he, he talks about the eagle, and he says you will mount up with wings like eagles and here's the thing about an eagle it flaps a little bit and then it gets up there and whew. and then he's flying on a current on a strength that is not his own look it's your call okay you can do it your way but you are going to wear yourself out you need to make up your mind are you going to live under your own power and do it your own way and constantly be tired and constantly be exasperated and nobody's going to like you and you're going to hate everybody or are you going to give God control of your life? Are you going to say, God, I think your way is a better way. I'm tired of striving. I'm tired of flapping all the time. God, is there a way for me to navigate life where I am not flapping constantly? And I think what your answer is going to be is, <laughs> absolutely. Here's the second thing that will happen when you let God take over. You will get a new identity. That's really not true, a true statement. It's, it's stated more correctly, you don't get a new one, but you will get the one that you were meant to have. You get the one that God originally created you to have. You don't have some made-up identity that you've opted for. You, God wants to give you the identity that he has for you. And to be real honest with you, we craft this identity of ourselves that God looks at sometimes and says, you know, I don't know who that is. That's not what I set out for you to be. That's not what I see in you. And if you would just give God control of your life, he will bring you back to your original identity. And trust me when I tell you that that identity is much better than anything you could create for yourself. So the next thing the angel said to Jacob was, what is your name? which is, I think this is interesting. Now, he already knew his name, right? He's from God. He knows what Jacob's name is. But he is going to make us come face to face with the identity that we have created for ourselves. That's, some of you, that's, what, that's the wrestling match you've got going on with God right now. He's trying to show you who you are and how bad you're messing it up. And he's going to make Jacob say his name. He makes him say it. He replied, and he says his name, and then the word Jacob, here's what you need to know about the name Jacob. The, the, the name Jacob means trickster. 
It means deceiver. And it started from day one when he reached out and grabbed that heel of his brother Esau. He was the trickster. He was the deceiver. He was manipulating. He was working it from day one. He says, my name is Jacob. And watch what God says next. God says, no, your name will no longer be Jacob. In other words, I did not create you to be that way. From now on, you will be called prince with God. That's what Israel means, prince with God. Jacob, I know how you see yourself as, as this guy that's always manipulating. He's always getting his own way. He's always got an angle. He's always doing this thing. But if you will let me, I will turn you into a prince because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Now, you need to hear this. God sees you as you are, but what God really sees is what you could become. Let me say it this way. God doesn't just see the actualities. He sees the possibilities. He sees what's going on in you, but he also sees what's possible with you. Things sometimes that you can't even see yourself. Some of you are living out a script that you have written for yourselves, and God's saying, that's not what I've got for you. And if things are not going well for you, and if things are not working, and you, you know as well as I do that when I stand up here and I talk about fully submitting to God, you know, right? You know what he wants to do with you. you when I talk about holding something back, you know what that is in your world. You know what that thing is that you're guarding, that you want to protect. You know what it is. You know that thing that you want to keep control of, and God's saying, hey, give me that. You don't need me to tell you. You know what that is, but you don't want to do it. I'm just telling you, your way is not going to be as good as God's way. It's just not going to be as good. Your way won't be as efficient as God's way. All through the Bible, God uses God does this thing, which, which means that he wants to do it in you and he wants to do it in me. Every time you see God encounter people in the Bible, he takes the bad script and he gives them a new one. He takes an old identity and he gives them a new identity. Andrew brings his brother to Jesus. Listen to this. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon. Now, you know what Simon means? Simon means someone who listens to God. He's a listener, but he's not necessarily a doer. And Jesus says, we're going to change your name. You know, your name, they call you Simon. We're going to change your name. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Jesus, in one statement, took him from just this passive listener to this doer, this rock. And, he, and Jesus basically said, I'm going to build my church on guys like you. Third thing is this. Here's the third thing. You will get a new joy. This is especially important for us as a church family because I know right now that some of you are going through really, really, really hard things. I don't even know what all the things are. I just have talked to enough of you to know that you're going through really tough stuff. And you're wondering, God, can I trust you? I want to control this. But I'm afraid if I give this to you, it won't turn out the way I want it to turn out. I want to trust you. Listen, you will get, if you will trust God with whatever it is that you're going through, if you will trust God with it, you will get a new joy. You can have a new joy that, that is there regardless of what's going on circumstantially. Um, happiness is just circumstantial stuff, right? Like we know that. In fact, our word happiness comes from the word of your circumstance. That's where we get the word. So, so 
joy is something different than that. Joy isn't tied to circumstances. It's deeper. Joy is because I've given my life to God, there's nothing that earth's circumstances can throw at me that's going to throw me off. Okay, that, that's what we're talking about. So in Genesis 32, he says, please tell me your name. And the angel's like, look, we don't have enough time for me to tell, talk about the names of God. All right, we're not doing that. He kind of puts him off. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And then he said, and here's what you really need. And, and, and you don't need the, men, you, you, you need the mental understanding of this to touch your life in some way. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And the word blessed is a misunderstood word. In our culture, blessed is, it's things, it's money, it's what do I have in my hands. That's how we look at blessed. That's not how Jesus looks at blessed. All through the Beatitudes, Jesus is talking about bless this, bless that. You know, it's, it has nothing to do really with what you have in your hands. It's something other than that. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You say, Brett, what's the point? The point is, give your life to God, and there's nothing that this earthly life can throw at you that will encroach on the joy that God is going to give you in your life. Will you always be happy? No, you will not always be happy. Will you have a deep, abiding joy in your life that gets you through the hardest things in your life? Absolutely, you will. That's what Peter described as inexpressible and glorious joy. So, I have a lot of other stuff that I would have shared with you, but I need to get in a hurry here. I want to just give you some things for your outline. If we could bring Jacob out of the crowd and have him run with us, I think he would say three things to us before he left us. The first thing he would say is, brokenness precedes breakthrough. Okay? If you're waiting for a breakthrough, it's quite possible that you've got to be broken before God and you've got to come to a place where you say, God, I've held this long enough. I'm finally going to let go of it. I trust you with it. I think that's one of the things Jacob would say to us. Y listen, we're going to be humbled one way or the other. We can either humble ourselves, which the Bible talks about, or we can be humiliated. It's a little better if you will humble yourself. Second thing Jacob would say to us is you must lose yourself in order to find yourself. Listen to how the message talks about this. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat, I am. And then in Mark 8, 35, the NLT, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Don't allow what you think you want to get in the way of what God has made you to be. Don't do that. And then the final thing Jacob would say is this. When you find yourself on God's terms, you will find fulfillment. I want to read one passage of scripture to you and close. This is one of my favorites. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2. It comes out of the, I put this in the message. Just I like the way it says it. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. All that stuff, your money, your relationships, your kids, your job, your dreams, your vacations, your free time, all of it. Take all of that and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, 
you will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Final thought, you'll never know what your life could have been until you hand it over to the one who created you and knows what it could be. Let's pray together. God, we are champions at trying to take control. We are world-class flappers. We go hard, and we work hard, and we, we do the best we can to take control of everything. And Father, there you stand, very quietly whispering to us, give me control. And for whatever reason, Lord, we don't trust you. For whatever reason, we cling to and we hang on to those things in our life and we just simply won't give them up to you. Help us to see, Father, that when we give up control to you, you give us a new identity, you give us a new joy. The world changes for us when, when we just will finally give in to you and we bend our will to your will. That's what we want, Lord. So that's my prayer for us as we leave this morning, that you would help us this week, just in this one area, to relinquish control you will work with us individually i know you will we trust you father it's in jesus name